Blog Talk Radio. but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Each week I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, homesteading, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kambach Feeds. At Kambach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. 
Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. I'm about to say something that may shock you. There's a chance the mealworm treats you're feeding your chickens are doing them more harm than good. Most of the mealworms sold in the U.S. are hollow and empty because of how they're processed, leaving them with little or no nutritional value. The problem is chickens love healthy insects like mealworms, but there hasn't been a way to get access to them in large quantities. Until now. The only mealworm company I endorse is The Honest Worm because of the way they raise and process their mealworms. Now, they've set aside some bags only for my listeners to try for free. Just cover the cost of shipping and handling. Head on over to freemealworms.com. That's freemealworms.com. If you don't see sold out at the top of the page, that means there's still some bags left, but only for a limited time. Go to freemealworms.com and get your free bag today. Sweet PDZ has been keeping horse stalls ammonia-free and healthy for nearly 33 years. However, ammonia is ammonia, regardless of the species producing it. Therefore, it will do the same great job in your chicken coops and brooders. Sweet PDZ safeguards flock health by neutralizing and eliminating harmful levels of ammonia and odors. Safe and effective moisture absorption. All-natural, non-toxic, premium-grade zeolite mineral. Contains no masking scents or chemical perfumes. Safe and beneficial to dispose with waste on compost and gardens. Learn more at SweetPDZ.com. That's SweetPDZ.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at StrombergsChickens.com. That's StrombergsChickens.com. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky... You'll know it's Super Chicken. All right, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. We have a fabulous episode for you today. We're talking all about proper nutrition for baby chicks, and I'm sure it's going to encompass a whole lot of information, not just about nutrition, but maybe gut health and maybe the development of their digestive system. And we'll talk about treats and just all kinds of different things like that. What really, uh, what do we want to do at the end of the day to make sure we have a healthy adult chicken that's going to provide you, you know, whatever your goals are, a nice pet or lots of eggs or a good meat source or really whatever the case may be. Um, and so it's going to be a great uh, show for everybody today, proper nutrition for baby chicks. I've just got really quick things to let everybody know that it's exciting things that are going on here at the homestead. 
Uh, we have started the Chicken Whisperer Farm School, which is going great. Uh, we've got, uh, well, the first class we have, of course, it just made sense, was a poultry class. It's 10 weeks long. The kids come out every Friday for two hours each Friday for 10 weeks, and they're learning everything from incubation all the way to processing. So they're having a great time. Tomorrow we have a, a class starting here uh, for the younger kids, which is uh, basically three to five, kind of preschool, and it's a um, uh, let's see what's it called um storybook farm and they'll come out and they're going to read an ag a children's related book culture and then learn i think tomorrow we're starting with the basics and learning about dirt and uh and, and how wide dirt and soil is just so important so that's going to be awesome then we'll have a gardening class for five to eight year olds starting early summer, so that's going fabulous. Right now, as I speak, uh, my wife is at the other end of the table. She is uh, actually reviewing, making changes, making corrections to a final copy of the, uh, our third book, uh, which is the Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Zero Waste Chicken Keeping. And um, uh, we're trying to meet some deadlines so we can get it in some, some stores that have requested it, like Tractor Supply for a, I don't know, exchange or something they're doing. So now we're really under the gun to try to get that done and, and uh, uh, overnight it to them tomorrow back to the publisher. So she's diligently working on that for me. If I'm making any corrections, I'll go over real quick and then take it to the UPS store. Other great news is we, we had a restaurant uh, that reached out to us earlier in the week that wanted us to provide them with 30 dozen eggs every single week. It's kind of a trendy um, restaurant that does a lot with local um, farms. They get milk locally, and they're going to be getting 30 dozen eggs. They only serve breakfast on Friday, uh, Saturday and Sunday mornings, not during the week. And so, uh, but hey, 30 dozen eggs coming from our farm to provide that new trendy restaurant is really cool. So we got that going on, which is super. And then also the day before yesterday, maybe it was Tuesday, could have been Monday. No, it was Tuesday. Uh, my wife and I had a phone call with a uh, another acquisitions editor at uh, Quarto Books, and uh, they're interested in, in fact, we have material to turn in. We're supposed to actually Jen, turn some stuff into them today. <laughs> so uh, everything's just we've been crazy this week. Uh, but we got to send them some material for, um, uh, for uh, Friday uh, about uh, kind of a children's book series, but not children's book like preschool where it's, you know, Andy had a farm and he had chickens and the chicken's name was Loretta and not that type of children's book, but really a children's educational book um, that'll be a combination of written basically between for the 8 to 12 year old. Um, written as a how-to book, uh, and um, it'll be a series, though. So this is the cool part. The first one will be about poultry, so the Chicken Whisperer Farm School Poultry Edition, <laughs> and the first one will be about poultry, and it'll be geared, again, presented to the 8- to 12-year-old, but it'll be a how-to book, but also in within that, uh, each chapter, whether it be incubation or brooding or coops or predators or whatever the case may be, composting, uh, they will have projects. My wife being a, a, a teacher for many years and has all her uh, uh, education degrees and their master's in curriculum design is going to be right up her alley um, that uh, um, will also have projects for them to do that will meet requirements for like STEM and STEAM. And I think there's even another little uh, thing that you can call it as well. So um, we're really looking forward to that. So kind of not just a poultry how-to, so involved in whether they homeschool or not, projects that they can do uh, regarding STEM and STEAM material. So really excited about that. I think that will be pitched on April 4th, and we hope that. And then after that, after the poultry book's out, if it's a hit, then we do gardening. 
and then maybe within, and then maybe we do one for goats and maybe one for cows or rabbits or whatever. So we're really excited that that will get approved because uh, that will be another avenue for books and spreading the chicken love, and not just chicken love, but agriculture uh, to kids uh, all around the globe. Uh, so we're really looking forward to that. So tons of things are going on here on the uh, on the farm school and the home school and the uh, um, homestead side. So we've got to love it. But let's get right into our poultry nutrition for baby chicks. We've got uh, poultry veterinarian, Dr. Maurice Pateski, who is uh, on the line now. He's going to share his knowledge about this because it, it says the season. It's chick days. Everybody's walking in tractor supply and all their local farm stores and their chain stores. And they're like, oh, look, fluffy butts are here. And they seem to leave with them. And then uh, they get caught up in some of the um, uh, chicken forums and blogs and groups on Facebook. And then I've literally in the last two weeks seen uh, folks say, my chicks are two weeks now. Can I go ahead and give them mealworms? Uh, you know, my chicks are two weeks. Can I give them cantaloupe and watermelon and blueberries and uh, oatmeal? And how do you give oatmeal? Do I need to cook it? Do I need to give it raw? And then, you know, so so there's a lot of, you know, I'm, how long do I give chick starter? Do I need to ch- switch to a grower? So there's a lot of confusion out there uh, about proper nutrition, especially for baby chicks, and they do require some, some you know, Hey, some some proper care. So that's why I thought this was going to be a great uh, topic for Dr. Maurice Pateski. So, Maurice, thank you so much for, for joining us. We're glad you're back from Nepal. Um, it sounds like a, that was an interesting trip. You've been there before, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, thanks for having me again, Andy. It's good to be back. Um, yeah, got a chance thanks. to work with some uh, female farmers in Nepal and trying to – a lot of the male um, – uh, kind of uh, partners are off in the Middle East trying to make money, and uh, that leaves um, kind of an opportunity for a lot of these female farmers that are already doing a lot of work. So we have a small grant to do some work with them to try to teach them about poultry rearing and uh, profitability and, and how to hopefully make some money um, and raise uh, happy and healthy chickens. So uh, it's interesting, interesting project. Hopefully we'll be able to expand it a little more to other parts of Nepal and, and maybe even other parts of the world um, as we uh, Awesome. Is the big challenge there, I'm assuming, the big challenge there, I'm assuming, is uh, um, uh, finding proper diet and feed uh, source for the chickens? Yeah, there's there's a lot of big challenges there, but that's, that's one big one. Um, so it's interesting there, kind of just in a, in a general sense, um, you know, using commercial poultry feeds, it, it, they're available mm-hmm. in in kind of some of the urban areas, but um, a lot of folks don't like them. There's a lot of misconceptions, um, somewhat similar mm-hmm. to here about what's in those poultry feeds. Um, mm-hmm. So it's interesting. People are worried that there's chemicals or antibiotics in there. Um, so mm-hmm. some people um, will make their own poultry feeds. Some people make their own poultry feeds there just because of. Um, their own concern because they're just the commercial ones are just too expensive. So traditionally what we call village poultry in you know Africa and Asia, the birds just kind of live off the, the ground. Um, they'll eat insects and whatever else is on the ground um, and then produce an egg every once in a while. Um, and that's right. kind of the definition of, of village poultry. That that's probably changing a little um, as you know farms go from like five chickens to twenty or thirty chickens. Um, they start seeing a little value in, in having some commercial feeds there. Um, but uh-huh. it's a challenging environment to raise birds in. You have a lot of, um, you know, just even the idea of nest boxes and perches, uh-huh. you know, things that we're very familiar with and have 
advantages, you know, we're trying to introduce to those uh, farmers and, and you have to try to convince them and show them, um, and this is hopefully one of the things we're going to collect some data on, um, that there's value in an S box because now you're not going to, you're not going to be on a, uh, on an egg hunt every single day looking for any eggs that are, that are laid. And now those eggs are going to not crack. And now those eggs hopefully are going to be nice and clean because they're in an S box. And perches are great because village poultry, they've got kind of a tough life. So the perches are good at bone for uh, creating uh, and facilitating bone density and things like that. So it's interesting. It's it's a it's a much different uh, challenge than um, you know I think we're all we're all used to. Um, and uh, it, there is a lot of um, square peg and a round hole with with a lot of things. You know I'm I'm used to raising chicks, you know with a brooder and and all these other resources that are available. And and village poultry are very tough, so they don't. They don't think they need brooders, and and I actually almost agree with them a little. You, you know, you don't they don't need a brooder as long as maybe some of the birds um, that we're used to um, kind of raising need a brooder. Um, they do have a huge Newcastle disease burden and challenge over there, so there's a oh, lot wow. of knowledge. Like there, there's a lot of knowledge about Newcastle over there among the farmers, and but not as much about husbandry, which I think is kind of interesting. So there's been a lot of effort. Um, put in by a lot of uh, the government and um, other governments, including ours, to try to help um, reduce disease burden because if people are eating, that's um, very important for society and for a stable government. So, um, so there's a lot of focus on disease, but not as much focus on kind of production and and food safety. So we've done some nice work there with some very clever engineers from UC Davis, um, building coops using bamboo and some of the supplies they have over there and doing it in a very cost-effective manner. And um, hopefully we'll be able to to, to replicate that um, in other places. That sounds so awesome. Just interesting and just really, really cool. That That's awesome. What an experience. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I can send you a, an article that, that got written about it so you can you can share it with um folks in, in your who might be interested in it. And um it's an it's an interesting interesting challenge. I, I, I think a lot of the people that are listening, you know, you, there's a lot of uh trial and error when it comes to coop design and, and a lot of um husbandry practices. So um you know, a lot of this is trial and error and practicing and seeing what works and doesn't work. So um, I think a lot of people out there are, are just as equipped to kind of um, do a lot of these things and consider a lot of the, the options that we've considered. I think we're all kind of amateur uh, commercial poultry operators and, and engineers. So it's always interesting talking to farmers and, and people that, you know, do this as a hobby to see what kind of clever ideas and thoughts they have. Um, and, and the same thing with these, these female farmers, they're very creative and, and clever. Um, and when it comes to the feed issue, you know, kind of going back to what we're talking about today, um, mm -hmm. it's, it's, they have, you know, very unique challenges. Um, they, they do make a lot of their own feed and, uh, as we'll talk about today, that that's a very challenging thing to do. And there's, there's consequences of that. Nothing's perfect. Um, but um, it is an interesting kind of space that, especially in the developing world, um, you know, some people have no choice. They have to uh, to make their own feed. You're not going to get um, mm -hmm. bags of commercial poultry feed delivered to some of these remote areas. So now you're in the situation where you've got to be creative. And, um, you know, there are recommendations. Um, I'm learning as I, I kind of delve into this a little. There are recommendations on how to make 
some of these feeds, but you still need some help. And, and we'll talk about this a little later, um, but just as, as, as a reminder, you know, when we think about, you know, the big macronutrients that go into poultry feed, basically protein and carbohydrates. So those are those are doable as far as you know drying corn, drying soy. Um, so soy has a lot of protein in it. Corn has a lot of carbohydrates in it. So if you can dry those ingredients down, or if you can roast the soy, that makes a lot of the protein more bioavailable. Uh, and then if you can grind and dry that down into kind of a, a mash, yep, sure that takes care of your 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 protein and your energy. But what it doesn't take care of is uh, you know calcium and phosphorus. Um, and some of these um, other vitamins and minerals, and that's challenging. So, so kind of just jumping to that kind of issue because I know everyone is so concerned about making their own feed, whether it's a chick feed um, or a uh, a layer ration. You know, it, these things are completely doable. But where where I have real issues and challenges, especially in the United States, is when it comes to um, supplements, um, because the corn and soy are just the two biggies, but you need to have vitamins and minerals. And when you look at these premixes um, that, that are commercially available that have the vitamins, the fat-soluble vitamins and the water-soluble vitamins, um, the real challenge is that they, they come in such large bags. So these premixes come in bags of like 50 pounds is typically what I've seen. So I guess my question for the people out there is like, okay, so if you're going to make your own feed, which I typically don't recommend, but some people try it because um, they like to be creative, and which I have a lot of respect for. But if you are going to make your own feed, I don't understand how you're going to take a 50-pound bag of premix, and if a chicken eats about a quarter, you know, 100 grams of feed or a quarter pound mm-hmm. of feed a day, I don't understand how even if you had like 25 chickens, that premix it's going to you're going to be adding maybe 5 to 10 pounds of that premix per ton of poultry feed and if the average chicken's eating a quarter pound a day you know when you do the math that that feed's going to have to last you a year which it's not because these these if if you have yeah. feed that you're storing for over a month or two even under the best of conditions you're going to start inactivating some of those vitamins especially some of the fat soluble vitamins and now you don't have a very balanced uh, ration of feed. So I, I have real issues with how people are doing that. Sure, can you do the math? Sure, but, but now you have so much extra feed or so much extra premix, and what are you going to do with all that? You're going to store it, and now you're going to run into other problems. Um, like I said, even under the best conditions, I wouldn't store any feed for longer than a month or two at the longest. And, you know, summer is right around the corner, um, and when it gets really hot out, that's when we start um, kind of oxidizing and um, oxidizing some of these fat-soluble vitamins especially. So I, I, I'm curious how people do that. Um, it, it's, you know, it might be one of these things where they have to kind of take some liberties when it comes to how long they're storing these things for. I know I'm going to get emails and phone calls from people that have done something and have never had a problem. I totally think you're probably <laughs> – you know, for for that one case, you're probably totally right. But if we had a hundred people do exactly what you're doing, I, I would suspect that it would not be a hundred percent. We would not have the same success a hundred percent of the time, and, and that's kind of my worry um, when it comes to nutrition. And then, in just a general sense, I mean, um, chicks especially, since I know we're kind of focusing on chicks here, um, mm-hmm. but but chicks especially um, need a balanced ration. 
And it is so dangerous. You know, when you think about how much a week one chick eats, um, they're eating about 10 grams of feed a day. Um, That's a tiny amount of feed. So if we're not giving them the correct ration, there has to be a lot of protein in there, 20% protein, um, because they need that to to build muscle and things like that. So if they're not getting the... um, the right amount of amino acids and protein and energy in that 10 grams, and we're giving them something else, that, that that's potential for, for disaster at that point. So I, I'm, I have a healthy skepticism of, of non-commercial poultry feeds, especially mm-hmm. for chicks and for layers because um, layer birds are just in general very um, – when you think about what they do, it's pretty amazing with the amount of calcium – that they they prioritize calcium not going to their bones. They prioritize calcium going to the shells of the eggs, and then whatever's left goes to their to their own bones and storage. Um, so it's a very altruistic, I guess, distribution of calcium for the from the chicken's perspective. It's it's not going to them. It's going to to the to the shell. And and the reality is, you can get a lot of calcium deficiencies very quickly. Um, that you'll notice that it'll affect the bird health before it even affects the the health of the shell itself. Um, so it's just just important things to think about um, when we think about kind of the, the general kind of nutrition of, of a chicken. Now, a chicken will eat by the second week, they'll eat twice as much. So they'll go from like 10 grams to 20 grams. Um, and by the fourth week, they're eating you know, 30 to 35 grams. And eventually they're going to eat about 100 grams of feed a day, which is the equivalent of about a quarter cup of feed. Um, So there is a little wiggle room as they get older for um, chicken scratch and other treats. But at a very minimal level, I would say, you know, 10 to 15% of the diet, just like for us, hopefully in a perfect world, you know, maybe 10% of our diet um, or less, or something around there is is, is is kind of empty calories that we all enjoy as treats. Um, but we don't want to get probably too far over that because now, instead of getting their five percent, you know, if we're thinking about uh, a, a hundred a chicken that eats about a hundred grams a day, instead of getting their five percent of their diet in calcium, well, now we've just displaced you know half their diet that was supposed to be in calcium because we gave them a bunch of treats. Um, and that's when we start running into a lot of these problems. Um, so I, I think when we think about chicks, that you know, the, the big thing I wanted to kind of point out, and I think we all probably know this somewhat intuitively, is that the, the gut is um, of a chick is sterile. Um, so just like us, when we um, are born, we're, um, our gut is sterile, and, and basically what comes in there next is is kind of a, a free for all. So we want good bacteria to come in there. Um, and, you know, the one thing I, I do want to stress, and I think the commercial poultry industry is doing a really good job of this um, for the most part, is they're really focusing, um, because of consumer demand, they're really focusing on these things called prebiotics and probiotics. Um, and the prebiotics, um, the, the, the dogma at this point is to give those prebiotics and probiotics as early as possible um, so there's nothing wrong with adding them to the, your feed or your water uh, a day of age and continuing that for um, continuously for at least the first uh, week or two. Um, so there is some interesting research on that. Um, you know, I, I would say when it comes to prebiotics and probiotics, the worst case scenario is that you'll do nothing, um, so you won't cause any harm. 
Uh, the best case scenario is that um, you will see the gut with some of these good bacteria, uh, lactobacillus, bacillus. Um, and what that does is that does the fancy word for it is it, 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 it accomplishes something called competitive exclusion. And that's just a fancy way of saying we just seeded the gut with all these good bacteria and now we're pushing out. We haven't created space for bad bacteria to colonize the gut. So there has been some mm -hmm. nice research that, that really shows that these probiotics and the prebiotics associated with them, which I'll talk about in a minute, um, are, um, have, have, have some ability to competitively exclude salmonellas and campylobacters. Now, does it completely, it's not like, it, it, does it completely eliminate the, um, the salmonella and campylobacter that, that might be in, in the gut? Probably not. Um, this is biology, so we're not dealing in zeros and ones. We're dealing with proportions, so it, it probably reduces the, the load of salmonella and campylobacter. Kind of like the bloom. I think sometimes when we think about the cuticle or the bloom on the eggshell, uh, mm -hmm. some of us um, you know, try to simplify life and say, well, the cuticle is good, and it gets rid of everything bad. And you know, if you have a piece of poop on the cuticle, the cuticle is not going to magically kill any any salmonella that's on there. It has some protective properties, but it's it's not again an absolute. So uh, same thing with competitive exclusion. What we're trying to do is is put the chicken's uh, gut health in in as optimal a um, uh, position as possible when it comes to the types of bacteria that are, that are there and the amounts of those bacteria that are in the gut. So um, I I. I think the um, the competitive exclusion ideas and concepts, I mean, these are things that make sense. I think intuitively uh -huh. there's a lot of data uh, and science that really suggests that they, they do help quite a bit. Um, and in addition, and here's the part of the um, the talk where I always talk about biosecurity, where we focus on, on our chick health um, and husbandry. Um, in addition to that, uh, feeding these prebiotics, which are basically the feed that goes, that makes the probiotics grow well, um, and the probiotics, when we mix those together, um, those those seem to be um, uh, uh, a, a, a good environment for um, raising our poultry in, in uh, uh, reducing their probability of getting sick or reducing their probability and or reducing the probability that they're going to get us sick. Um, one thing I'd say, too, just kind of jumping to kind of that, that husbandry aspect, when we raise our chicks, mm -hmm. The more stress that the birds have, the more likely they probably are to not being healthy, the more likely they are to, to getting disease. Um, their immune systems don't work as well. They don't gain as much weight. Um, and, and especially at the beginning of life, that first week or two, it's so important to, to, to create an environment um, where our chicks can be healthy. And that is, you know, that to, to break it down to its simplest level, uh, when we raise chicks, the three things that we really, really, really want to focus on, clean water, clean and cool water, clean food that's always available, uh, that's in addition to the water, and um, heat. So if we can do those three mm -hmm. things, that is outstanding. It's easier said than done. Um, but I think sometimes we focus on a lot of other things and all the little elixirs and things that we want to give them. And I totally believe in, you know, vaccination and, um, you know, all of, we can talk about lighting and all those other things, but, but at the simplest level, if we can offer heat, uh, if we can offer cool water continuously, and if we can offer feed continuously, um, those are really essential. And, and I think the water thing is something that we all forget a little about. 
I think what, one thing we forget is, you know, we know all of our bodies, we always hear this when we're in elementary school or middle school or whatever, that all of our body is about two-thirds water, and that when we're younger, we actually have more water in our body. Well, well if you look at a chick, a chick is almost 85% water. Uh, an adult bird is 70% water, and the egg is 65% water. So mm-hmm. if you're going to kind of prioritize uh, what's the most important nutrient, well, if we're looking at it just based on quantity, we would say water. So if our water is mm-hmm. contaminated, then our chickens are going to be contaminated and our eggs are going to get contaminated. And if our water is not cool and clean, our chickens aren't going to drink as much water. And the best predictor of feed consumption is availability of water. So no chicken is going to eat if they're thirsty. They're going to drink the water first, and that's going to make them hungry. So if we don't offer water to our chicks, um, we, we put them at a competitive disadvantage, and that creates stress, and stress is, you know, one of the factors that can lead to disease. So I, I know I'm I'm kind of probably preaching to the choir at some level, um, but it's really important to think about um, uh, offering um, clean, cool water um, along with our, our chick starter feed. Mm-hmm. Um, Excellent. So kind of, oh, yeah, thank you. The, my, so, favorite, um, my favorite visual... My favorite visual when you talk about uh, competitive exclusion, um, that's a, I don't even remember where I got this. It was from, again, poultry nutritionist, possibly maybe from Kalmbach. But um, it was, you know, if we fill this glass with good bacteria, there's really no room in that bad or harmful bacteria. So I've all, when you, mm-hmm. you, I was actually going to mention that before. I said, I know what he's about to say, because I use that a lot when we talk about prebiotic and, and probiotic. And, and, uh, but that's my favorite visual is, you know, you fill a glass up with water and you say, okay, this is good bacteria. Look, there's no room for bad bacteria in here because we've got it filled with the good probiotic and prebiotic. So I love that visual. It's always worked for me <laughs> at the layman's <laughs> level, you know. So uh, so I, I enjoy that visual for other folks that are listening to, to give them a little bit better idea or a visual of how kind of what that what that means because it's always I've always loved that visual and it's worked for me for for a long time so um, that's awesome and thanks for sharing that with with the feed issue because um, you know I always you know I guess so many people don't get a premix so and so many give it basic than that I'll give you a how how at some level people would think. I got into a, a little snippet with a young lady talking about the quality of feed and what goes into feed and, and that type of thing. I may have shared this with you before. You may have heard me to refer to it. But um, she she was, to make it really short, under the section that weed is weed is weed is weed. And whether it's, we'll just say weed in the chicken food or the corn or the soy or whatever, um, it's, you know, if I'm giving you know, soybeans to them, just whatever, or if I'm giving wheat or I'm giving some corn, that's in the chicken feed, so wheat is wheat is wheat. And uh, so, and I can't remember, I think she even referred to if I go in my cupboard and cook some wheat spaghetti noodles from Walmart and then give it to my chickens, well, guess what, that's wheat, they're getting wheat, maybe there's wheat in their feed, you know, whatever. And uh, I kind of told her, I said, well, let's do this, let's go a step further look at the side of that box so that, that your, you know, wheat spaghetti noodles or your wheat linguine came in. Look at the side of that box under the nutritional value and tell me how many zeros you see because <laughs> it's almost really, if you look at it, void of anything. Um, right. And then go back and look at the tag 
on that feed bag that you just spent thirteen ninety nine for or sixteen ninety nine for and tell me all of the nutri- nutrients, the amino acids, vitamins and minerals, all that stuff in that feed. So no, it's you're you're far from being anywhere close to correct because wheat is wheat is wheat is wheat or this wheat is just as good as or this corn or the soybean is just as good as the uh, you know, soybean so she was missing out on on that and those uh crucial amino acids that, that they have in there and whatnot. So that you know, some people I mean, she was really um, at the very basic level, not even doing a pre-mix and then adding two. She was just like, wheat is wheat is wheat. And so they're getting this, whether I give a bag feed or or not. And then it's an t- it's a, it's a uphill battle for me too, Dr. Pesky, is that when I share with them that, um, well, you know, what, what did they do before there was, you know, commercial feed? pellets at the store, you know, how did these chickens live or whatever. And so uh, oftentimes I'll go back to the um, explanation of, well, why do you keep chickens? Well, I love these eggs. Well, you want as many eggs as you can get from your hens, right? Well, yeah. So, you know, there's, like you were saying, you might get an egg every now and then when you're talking about your work in Nepal based on a particular feed or poorer feed and quality that you're giving them our environment or whatever the case may be so it's like uh, I have to relate kind of that to folks as well saying you know yeah a lot you can do a lot of things but if you want the healthiest bird with the most output whether it be meat or egg then you need to think about that and then that they're like well I just don't care about eggs these are my pets and and that's why I give them all these treats then I go okay well you know then we talk about the less calcium uh, that, you know, when you give those treats, that's less calcium that they're getting from the laying feed, and then that, that can affect their bones and not just the eggshell. And then I, I move into, like, fatty liver disease. So they're your pets and you love them so much, and so you're giving them all these treats. You, don't, you say you don't care about egg production. That's just kind of a little benefit on the side. But now let's talk about the health of your bird. So all this kind of gets encompassed when we talk about, you know, nutrition out there on the, on the, on the groups. Um, because people always want to justify kind of what they're doing, why they're doing it right or wrong, and it's an uphill battle for me uh, saying, well, you you care about egg production or or a healthy bird or both, or you want the healthiest bird, you know, that's going to produce like you want it to, then we need to look at feed, and then you're, you know, so it's it's, it's an uphill battle, and and because so many people, again, want to just either do their own or they want to ferment their feed, and then, of course, we, we, we share with them about, normally when I see a post about fermenting feed, I just say, you know, it's not, unfortunately, as simple as people make it out to be. Um, there are many mm-hmm. dead flocks because it was done wrong. There, You know, please do your research uh, with, you know, before you just fill a five-gallon bucket of laying pellets with water, let it sit for a few days, <laughs> and then give it to your chickens. Mm-hmm. So, um that that's my biggest issue with that is that you know, you know the fermenting was you know because uh, I don't have a but they say I don't have a dog in that fight is that you know please do your research because that can be quite dangerous if you do it the wrong way so it's an uphill battle this nutrition especially now with chicks because everybody wants to know when can I start giving treats so but uh, yeah carry on that's so far great information. Great. No, those are. It's a. That's an interesting conversation to have. For some reason, on the nutrition side, people um, just human nature takes over, and, and we want to, uh, like we we uh, like our grandma, you know, kind of uh, try, tries to cook for us, and it's the same thing with our chickens. We think we feel like we're um, we try to help our, um, our 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 chickens out by cooking for them, I guess. Um, so. 
the one thing I did want to mention, so where things get a little difficult, and just to finish up when we're talking about pre and probiotics. So first of all, just as a a general um, kind of, I guess, definition. Uh, so the, the the idea is that you need, in order for the probiotics to persist, um, which are these, you know, healthy live bacteria, um, which can confer, you know, they can competitively exclude bad things. Um, they might have some beneficial effects in and of themselves um, with the, with how they can di- help uh, digest um, uh, proteins, for example, and sugars. So it seems to be that these probiotics, for example, are more likely to have our, our birds are going to gain a little more weight when they're on probiotics, and that's a good thing. I know with the point that you just made, having backyard chickens is just not about productivity, um, it's about health, um, and when we hear about weight gain, we're like, eh, that's not such an important thing. But the reality is if our birds are gaining weight, that's how their immune systems are getting stronger. We're not pushing the envelope like I think is, is going on at some level in the commercial industry where we're not pushing the envelope and having any kind of health repercussions because they're gaining weight too quickly. Um, you know, mm-hmm. that, 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 that's more of an issue in the commercial world because – Obviously, if they gain weight, um, you know, that's what the farmers are paid for. So there's there's a, obviously a motivation to do that within reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're kind of pushing up against the, I think, the genetic, um, I guess, uh, cap of, of what's what's viable and what, what, where we start getting some health issues. But those those probiotics are, great, are, are these kind of healthy bacteria. But the prebiotics are these non-digestible um, additives that, that are, um, they're usually made of uh, different types of um, uh, sugars, um, usually in the form of fiber. Um, and they're kind of interesting things. And, and um, they're, there's like these, the fancy word of these fructo-oligosaccharides. Um, but they're interesting in that the probiotics um, can utilize them as a feed source, but bad bacteria, quote unquote, um, can't use them. Um, just kind of trying to simplify. Um, so having those two together is really important. So um, the dogma now is that when you do buy your prebiotic, to make sure you're you're purchasing a probiotic with it, um, and then those are both given at the same time. Um, the one thing I would say where it gets complicated is um, there are, you know, a gazillion and one different prebiotic and probiotics that are commercially sold. Um, And it is very difficult to know which one is the magical elixir that you're going to give. And and this is where you get a little into kind of, you know, what I would consider a little snake oil. So I've been to enough poultry meetings where every single time, you know, I hear a um, company or someone talk about a prebiotic in a scientific study, for some reason, whatever prebiotic that they're studying on behalf of whatever company they're representing, for some for some reason, that one always works better than the leading whatever the leading competitors were. Um, so there's all kinds of reasons that that happens. I mean, this is just unfortunately the nature of of how some research gets done. Um, but there's a lot of different bacteria. Um, what I would say is um, there's a lot of different probiotic bacteria. So there's lactobacillus and bacillus. Um, and there's two main kind of groups of them. Um, so there's these bacillus bacteria, and I don't want to go into too much detail. And then there are these lactic acid bacteria. So my recommendation would be just to be, based on the literature that I've seen is you probably want to get a probiotic um, that has two main groups of um, bacteria in them. Um, and one would be these bacillus species, and one would be these lactic acid bacteria. 
Um, if you found a prebiotic with one of them, that's not the end of the world or anything like that. Those still probably work well. Um, but there is an advantage when at least like when you think about it logically and when you look at some of the literature to having your to having a, a diverse um amount and type of bacteria um that is in your prebiotic kind of mixture that you're gonna add to your um to your water or your feed. So um that would be my only suggestion there. But I, I do get confused and I get people asking me all the time, well should I use this prebiotic or this prebiotic or this prebiotic or this prebiotic and and that is something that I am I am not comfortable answering yes or no to. Um they probably all work relatively well. Um are there some that work better than the others? Probably. Do do I know what they are? Probably not. I don't think anyone really knows. I don't think there's there's a lot of non-objective studies, I think, that are out there, and it, it's kind of hard to tease all those out from each other. So um, with that being said, I would I would just try to get ones that have the greatest variety of live bacteria in there because um, that's probably – there does seem to be value in having as many different species as possible, um, especially those two main what we call genera, these lactic acid bacteria and these bacillus bacteria. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is commercial poultry industry. There's only just a few breeds of chicken that we really kind of focus on. So in those handful of breeds, whether they're broilers or layers, um, we know so much about their genetics and their nutrition. Um, when it comes to backyard poultry, now we're dealing with, you know, uh, some in, in you know realistically over a hundred different breeds of chicken that we just don't know as much about. Now I would agree I'm a grouper, not a splitter. I would agree that there's more similarities and differences between the commercial breeds and the um, backyard, if you will, breeds. Um, they're chickens, right? So they're they've got crops and proventriculus, and you know their guts are pretty much the same, but there are subtle differences. Um, and we don't know a lot about that, um, and I, I think it's really important to acknowledge while these poultry feeds are outstanding as far as, you know, the knowledge that is kind of, for lack of a better word, kind of disseminated through the the poultry feed that you're buying. I mean, we know more about what a chicken should eat, what a balanced chicken diet should be than a human diet should be because we can do these amazing controlled studies, which we, we just can't really do in humans for all kinds of reasons. So that being said, um, you know, that lack of knowledge, there is a lack of knowledge about some breeds of chicken. And then when you move into waterfowl um, and pheasants and chucker and things like that, we, we again don't, you know, know less and less and less. So um, I think it's important to recognize that, you know, the, these feeds are, are pretty much designed based upon um, a lot of the breeds that are utilized in the commercial poultry world and that there are some subtle differences there, and it's, it's fine to acknowledge that. That being said, I still think those are superior um, to pretty much anything that, that we could do on our own. Um, and there might be some subtleties in the literature that are kind of floating around on ducks or pheasants or you know other species like that, and I think it's just important to be aware of. The other big issues that I've seen kind of um, – and it's very common, unfortunately, at least I've, I've run into it pretty consistently, is um, a lack of knowledge regarding feeding at the wrong feeding the wrong feed at the wrong stage of of of, of life. So um, a common problem, and I think most of us probably realize this, is that a, a chick needs 
a completely different diet than a layer needs. A layer is producing eggs every 25 hours. A chick is just trying to get bigger and stronger. If we feed a layer diet to a chick, that is a recipe for disaster uh, for all kinds of reasons. First of all, that bird's not getting the amount of protein that it needs. Second of all, it's getting way too much calcium that it needs, and it can get uh, the equivalent of kidney stones because it's getting so much calcium or urolithiasis um, or gout, and and that can manifest itself in all kinds of ways. Their joints can be very stiff. Um, They can get crystals, uh, calcium um, precipitates in their kidneys and their ureters. Um, So it's really important to make sure we give the correct feed at the correct stage of life. And this is really challenging in backyard birds in general because most, if not all, backyard flocks are mixed-age flocks. So maybe we brood our birds for four weeks or six weeks, and then we put them in with our layer birds, and we give them a, a layer ration at that point. And now we're giving a six-week-old immature, sexually immature bird uh, a high mm-hmm. dose of calcium for a bird that's not even going to be producing eggs for 10 more weeks at the minimum. And that's when we can start running into some of those kidney stone and gout issues again. Um, so that's a real challenge. Um, and I, I, the, the other kind of issue associated with this is that there's commercially typically only two feeds that are available for, for birds of any stage of their life and that the two kind of rations that are available are a starter ration and a layer ration um so in the commercial world there's you know three four five different rations um and a lot of that's based upon you know what's the most expensive component of a poultry diet and that's protein so anytime we can reduce protein that's a good thing um but in the backyard world we can only really do reduce it once and that's basically when we go straight from a starter ration um, to a layer ration. And usually in the backyard world, that gets done, you know, maybe around 16 weeks or so, just a couple weeks before they we expect them to go and delay um, because we want to start um, uh, kind of calcium loading them and giving them a little more uh, calcium. So when they start producing eggs, they're not uh, operating at a calcium deficit. Um, so that's something I think really important to think about. Um, and then I, I wanted to kind of um, talk about the other kind of main issue that I see where a lot of times people will, you know, what are the consequences if we use the right feed, but then we say, oh, I've got a half a bag or I've got a bag and a half of my chick starter feed left. I'm just going to keep it till next spring. Um, so this also happens kind of periodically. And as we kind of mentioned before, we, we only want to store our feed. First of all, we want to store our feed in a dry, cool place that's not exposed to sunlight, not exposed to rodents and raccoons and things like that, because that's a great way to spread disease. Um, but it's really important that we also consider um, the length of time that we're storing the feed. So if we store our feed for... Uh, over a month or two, we run the risk of that feed, um, basically elements of that feed breaking down. And the, the big ones that you worry about are the fat-soluble vitamins, so vitamins A, D, E, and K. And the good thing about this is that, okay, so let's say you gave your birds some feed that didn't have the right premix in it or that you stored for a while and the fat-soluble vitamins were were metabolized and the birds you know, for a day or two or three did not get the amount of vitamins A, D, E, and K that they need. 
Well, the good thing is that the fat-soluble vitamins um, can be stored in the body in, in, the, um, in, the, in the body's uh, fat. So the, 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 the chick or the adult bird could draw on those, those vitamin reserves. So usually when you see vitamin deficiencies, you're going to see those vitamin deficiencies for water-soluble vitamins before you'll see them in fat-soluble vitamins. And the most common vitamin deficiency that you'll see, at least from my experience and from looking at some of the, the data from our diagnostic lab, is a thiamine deficiency. So thiamine is vitamin B1. And when they have that vitamin B1 deficiency, you'll see a decrease in appetite. Um, the birds will be very weak, um, and they can even have some neuromuscular problems. Um, and then on the fat-soluble side, the most common disease I'll see is vitamin E. Um, so vitamin E is fat-soluble. So um, what, what those birds get is they get this fancy thing called encephalomalacia, and that's just a fancy way of saying that they, um, they're not – the vitamin E is really important for brain development, and uh, birds that don't have enough vitamin E um, will show uh, neurologic signs. Um, they'll be circling, um, kind of stargazing, uh, those kind of clinical signs. And, and that, those, those, those are not – neither of those, unless you addressed it, you know, before the clinical signs were showing, neither of those are really um, can be – the birds can be recovered from that in general, especially the encephalomalacia. So – my point is it's really important to make sure that when you get new chicks um, that you also um, purchase new feed, uh, new starter feed with that because it's um, essential to, um, to start off on the right foot and to make sure you're giving your birds um, the proper feed and the feed that's stored properly um, that has all the vitamins that are necessary in there. Okay. Excellent. Excellent information. Let me go to a very, very quick commercial break, Dr. Proteski, and then we will be back and we may have a couple of questions for you and then we'll give you an opportunity to add anything else that you had on your outline for uh, today's show. So folks, if you're just tuning in, don't worry. This entire show will be available in its uh, entirety. How about that? Uh, as a podcast, probably about 10 minutes after we end the live broadcast. We're talking with poultry veterinarian Dr. Proteski and we're talking about proper nutrition for baby chicks, and we'll return right after this short break. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at idealpoultry.com. That's idealpoultry.com. Hey, Chicken Whisperer fans. I'm proud to partner with Rita Marie's Chicken Coops. Rita Marie's provides American-made, built-to-order chicken coops with the highest quality and attention to detail. Their mission is to empower Americans with self-sufficiency while making America's backyards beautiful. I have one of their coops. I'm using it for my Bovin's Brown Layers. I went with a Dutch style coop that has a classic barn style, and I was able to pick the size, features, and paint and trim colors that I wanted. I was surprised at the overall detail and the quality of construction. 
Rita Marie's builds the highest quality Amish crafted coops made to your order for an easy hands-off experience. Remember that not all Amish products are created equal. Find your beautiful new coop at largechickencoops.com. That's largechickencoops.com. Metzer Farms is now hatching and shipping the premier egg layer. This girl is consistently laying jumbo eggs with a higher nutrient density and lower water content than your eggs now. She is an extremely hardy bird and the most heat and cold tolerant egg layer available, allowing for year-round outdoor production. An eggshell unmatched in sturdiness and thickness, making cracks a thing of the past. Increase your health and double your egg profits. Of course, we're talking about ducks. Duck eggs are revered by chefs for their succulent flavor and by bakers for being the better baking egg. Learn more about this extraordinary duck, the Golden 300, or any of our other 35-plus breeds of ducks and geese at MetzerFarms.com and order your next flock from us. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFRadio.com. That's GQFRadio.com. Attention chicken lovers, now you can honor the chickens in your lives with a hand-drawn portrait made by an artist who loves a flock of her own. Genesee Cluck artist Julie White not only draws the intricacies of their beautiful feathers and coloration with a classic portrait format, she also captures each chicken's personality. Chickens have character and deserve a commanding presence in a chicken-sized portrait, and this artist wants to spread the chicken love. Go to chickendrawings.com to find Genesee Cluck prints, cards, and tea towels with an array of chickens who may remind you of that certain chicken you love. Custom drawings are also available if your bird wants to shine with his or her own custom portrait. Once again, that's chickendrawings.com, where you'll find the chickens drawn by Julie White of Genesee Cluck. Alrighty, thanks for staying with us today on Backyard Vulture with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by our friends at Calm Box Feeds. I want to remind everybody, if you missed our Facebook Live last week or the announcement here on the farm, Chick Fresh is now available on Amazon. In fact, tomorrow we have a farm school. And uh, part of the kids' uh, assignments is to clean out the coops, gather the eggs, add, fill up the feeders and the waterers and things like that. And um, uh, we, we changed out, completely cleaned out our um, Rita Marie's coop last week, and uh, we put brand-new uh, large flake pine shavings in there. And one of the things we had them do is we each had them say, okay, go up into the coop and then stand there for a minute and, you know, kind of smell that odor. You know, it's definitely, you know, time to change. This is what what we're going to the experiment that we're doing with our students 
And so they said, okay, that's like you smell that little bit of uh, uh, um, ammonia smell there. So that's not good. We talked about foot pad, I guess, dermatitis and lesions. We talked about the bad for their eyes, things like that, why they want to clean out the poop, why they don't want to smell pneumonia, and that they can smell it while they're standing in the poop at their nose level, what the chicks are smelling at their nose level or beak level. And um, so uh, we changed out every single thing in that poop, mess boxes, all to the shavings. And uh, one thing we've changed this week was that we've actually been spraying on a daily basis this Chick Fresh odor control spray. Um, and uh, I was out there today, and uh, the kids that were in the coop last week versus when they come tomorrow, I'm going to actually interview because there's, there's parents that come as well, and I think I'm going to do a live interview with one of the parents to say, okay, do you remember how this coop smelled last week after one week of not using this? Now, I've been every single day spraying this coop with the Coop Fresh. Now I'm going to get a, you know, not just my, <laughs> my uh, review of it, uh, after several months of using it, but I'm going to get just basically a bystander that has experienced it, no chicken experience whatsoever, a difference between last week and this week. And the only difference we've made was spraying this chick fresh in on, on you know, 10 or 15 sprays in the coop uh, each day. So that's going to be fabulous tomorrow. We're going to be doing that. But just uh, go to Amazon and, and look up uh, chick fresh odor control, and uh, you'll see it. It's, I think, 12.98 prime two-day shipping. But let me tell you, if you've got brooders, and let's face it, in the house um, or in a utility room or in the basement or in a spare, whatever, um, you know about the dust. Let me tell you, you know about the dust of a brooder. You know about the odor of a brooder. You've got to try this. Let me tell you, um, it's uh, for your brooder. And once you see how awesome it works in your brooder setting, <laughs> you're going to want to use it in your coop. But that's where I think most of you are going to see the, the amazing results of the Chick Fresh product starting off in your brooder because it's going to reduce the dust and it's actually going to help uh, with that odor control. And who doesn't want that in a brooder? Then you're going to get it in the coop, and then when you get in your coop, you'll see a difference. And uh, we're going to do a video tomorrow with pretty much a non-experienced uh, farm school student dad and say because he was there too and he was like smell this now 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 smell today this is the only change and i'll get that on video because it's uh, it's staggering uh, to be honest with you the difference all righty let's get back over here to our good friend dr maurice pateski out of uc davis uh proper nutrition for baby chicks um i guess the one question i had that you know really to keep it simple um and, and i know this is not an absolute but because we, I've often heard from folks who've had on the show, you know, their 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 digestive system doesn't even even it's not even really complete yet at that that you know first two three week age. It's still it's still maturing. It's still growing. It's still developing. Um, if 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 you had a uh, client uh, that asked you in your office, Dr. McGray, uh, Dr. McGray, Dr. Pateski, you know, and you said, okay, here's here's my question: When can I start, say, giving them? A couple of you know treat, and I say a couple because we know the you know the folks out there they always seem to overdo it. But if they if you if you were asked that question, uh, Maurice, you know hey, when when do you think it would be safe or okay, especially if I'm kind of restrictive and just add a little bit, um, you know, at, at what week do you think it might be okay to add? you know, two or three mealworms or a couple of little pieces of uh, um, scratch grain, seven-way scratch, or a few pieces of blueberry or cantaloupe cut up. What, what do you think, if you feel comfortable saying, well, probably, you know, because I know that at the end of the day, I don't get, I admit it, when, when I've got 55, 55 hens and when I take a picture in the evening uh, of 55 eggs uh, or 52 eggs or 50 eggs and I got 55 hens, I'm like, you know, here's the result of no treats. 
you know, and a good nutritionally balanced feed. So I'm like, if you're not getting this, you know, let's, let's examine why. But um, is, is there a maybe a time frame where you can say maybe you can start, if you have to, um, incorporating some some extracurricular uh, treats to their diet? Is there is there a something you would recommend there? Because I know people are going to want to ask that or want to know that, so might as well just ask the question for them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, that's a that's a good practical question. I guess what I would say is it, and, and I'm going to give you the scientific answer of it depends. So um, right. if we're talking about insects, for example, well, insects are part of their normal kind of you know biologically birds eat insects. So um, if you're giving them any insects that are processed in such a way that there's no salmonella or E. coli in there, I'd say you can give those earlier than later. Um, and I would say maybe around four weeks of age or so, because by about four weeks of age, mm-hmm. uh, they're eating, you know, 30 grams of feed per day. So if you're able to give them just a couple grams, I, I wouldn't be so opposed to that. There's a lot of protein in there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's probably as healthy. I mean, that's that's what nature intended them to eat at some level. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not opposed to, you know, maybe even up to 20% of that. So let's say three grams, let's say three to five grams of, of insects mm-hmm. a day starting at four weeks or so. If I was going to ballpark it, I wouldn't be opposed to that. Um, okay. On the chicken scratch, I, I don't understand, you know, the whole chicken scratch thing. Um, you know, <laughs> when my dog wants cookies and things like that, she looks at me and she's really cute. So I'll give her a cookie because I'm a softie. But I don't have that same connection with a chicken. And maybe I'm a bad right. person for that. So I just don't see why I would do that. Um, right. But if you are, if you do have that same emotional connection with your chicken, like I do with my dog, because someone probably looks at me and goes, "The dog, just feed them their do- normal feed." But she likes cookies a lot, and I'm a softie. So I guess I would say on that, I, I would wait until like the birds, you know, just a nice round number of about ten weeks or so before I would start doing that. Um, by that time, and that would be like eating... the blueberries, cantaloupe, you know, maybe some yeah, meal, like that, that, that those... type of thing, right? So. Again, you know, by that time, they're eating about, let's say, an eighth of a cup of feed a day. So that's about 60 grams or so, something the equivalent of that. So, again, I wouldn't go over 10% in that scenario. So Mm -hmm. six grams or so um, would be my maximum recommendation. Um, And same thing when they get to the, you know, the layer stage. Now they're eating a quarter cup a day. So I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. um, So now let's say that's about 100 grams. So I wouldn't go over 10 grams. Um, There's a little fudge factor there probably. So you can give Mm -hmm. some oyster shells just to make sure that they're not having too much of a calcium and phosphorus issue. Mm -hmm. Um, That Mm -hmm. being said, I I still think, you know, aside from the insects, um, the chicken, the the chicken scratch, I I just don't, I just don't get. So I would recommend not doing that. Um, But, but I understand, you know, we are all, we all have our things. So people want to make their right. <laughs> want to spoil their pets. <laughs> I get that. Um, the other thing that's kind of controversial that people always talk about is grit. So um, people people get very emotional about grit. I feel like sometimes too. In general, mm-hmm. my feeling is okay. So if your bird is eating pellets or a crumble or a mash, they don't need grit um, mm-hmm. because they're they're not eating kind of off the land. Um, but if right. they are eating anything fibrous, like they're, you know, true pastured or free range poultry and you want them to be able to mm-hmm. eat some mm-hmm. of those things also, in that scenario grit makes sense. 
Um, there are some people that think, okay, if your birds are raised outdoors, um, they're going to get grit naturally. Um, so it's a moot point whether they need grit or don't need grit because they already have grit. Um, right. But I would say there's nothing wrong with giving grit aside from, you know, the economics of it. Um, but most likely, at least from my experience and talking to some of the pathologists that um, I work with at UC Davis, when they do a necropsy on a bird, they usually see the equivalent of grit in the um, in the stomach already. And I've seen that same scenario with our kind of pastured birds. So uh, I guess you don't need it. I, at least we don't need it just anecdotally from our experience, but there's nothing wrong with giving it. But the reality is they should be getting the majority of their diet from a pelletized feed mm-hmm. or a crumble mm-hmm. or, a pe- uh, or, or, or a mash. And in those scenarios, they just don't need grit. Now, the one thing I will say with feed, and I've seen this a couple times, is some of the um, – it's really important, every feed bag that you get – just to make sure, especially the pelletized feed, to make sure that it kind of can crumble in your fingers. Um, so I have seen some poultry feeds that have been made by feed mills that are more knowledgeable um, with respect to ruminants and pigs. Um, so when you see the pelletized feed, it's it's so glued together that a, no normal chicken is going to be able to break that down. And they'll eat kind of this powder that um, comes with the with the feed that that, that kind of just um, it's almost like the sawdust basically from the from the pelletized mm-hmm. feed. It's this part that just didn't pelletize at all. So these birds are starving, and they've got this pelletized feed that's so um, kind of clumped together that that they can't break down. Like birds don't have teeth, mm-hmm. so. Um, so I'd be careful about that too, just to make sure that when you do get a bag of feed, you know, 99 out of a hundred times, it's going to have everything you want. It's going to be, uh, a total mixed ration. It's going to have the vitamins that you need. It's going to have the protein and the energy you need. Um, it's going to be digestible like you want it to be, but, but it's always good to, to kind of double check. And, uh, a lot of commercial producers for every shipment of feed they get, they'll usually save a small portion of it. Um, just to make sure, like, let's say something did happen, um, and they wanted to see, well, it did, was the feed contaminated? Was there a vitamin that was missing? Was there a mineral that's missing? You wouldn't know that unless you saved a portion of the feed, um, and submitted that to a diagnostic lab, you know, after the fact, because then you want to understand, okay, what just happened here? And you want to make sure that, um, you can reach out to the feed company if it, if it ends up being, um, you know, if they end up being responsible. So there's, there's nothing wrong with kind of storing just a small baggie of feed, um, with the idea of like, eh, most likely I'm just going to throw this out in a month, um, when my birds have gone through this bag, but just in case I'm going to keep it and, uh, and kind of save it from there and, and kind of make it and, and just, just in case a rainy day happens. And that's very, very, very rare, but it does happen. And it's good mm-hmm. to have that as a, um, uh, it's good to have access to that. That's great. I know I'm going to remind everybody that I think we did a show last year uh, about this time, maybe a little bit later, uh, on um, raising broilers. And you talked about the difference between just, okay, hey, I just picked up some Rhode Island Reds at the feed store, they're a week old, versus, hey, I just picked up some Cornish Cross at the feed store, and they're a week old. Um, we're raising Cornish Cross again as we speak for our students in, in our farm school. And uh, when, when I showed them uh, that they had literally doubled their, their weight in, in one day, and I went out and weighed them, uh, let's see, what's today, Thursday? Yesterday, actually. It was Wednesday. So they were hatched last Monday. So yesterday would have been one, 
technically nine days old, but we weighed them on Wednesday when we got them. They were 1.3 birds, and exactly seven days later, they were 6.0, 6.1, you know, 6.2. So they had, you know, basically grown about six times their initial weight on in, in six days, uh, almost doubling their weight. I guess every day you could say just about. Well, not 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 technically. No, I mean they've gone from 1.1 to 6.1 in that seven-day period. So so those of you who are listening, if you'll listen listen to um, uh, last year when uh, Dr. Podesky did a whole show on raising uh, meat birds, that, that would be a great listen for you. Well, Doc, thank you very much for coming on. We really, really appreciate it, and uh, we'll look forward to having you back at your regular scheduled time, second to third, no, I think you're, yes, yeah, second Thursday of, uh, of April. So keep me informed on that, and we'll talk about another awesome topic, and we appreciate you coming on as always. Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Have a good month, and I'll talk to you soon. All righty. Thanks so much, Maurice. All righty, guys. Another awesome show with our good friend, Dr. Maurice Pateski. Such an honor to have him on. Very quick reminder, later tonight, this is Thursday now, later tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, it's going to be an awesome Facebook Live with poultry scientist Dr. McRae. We're going to give away prizes. We're going to be answering your questions. We're going to have laughs. We're going to have trivia. But most importantly, answering your questions live on Facebook Live tonight, 7 p.m. Hey, hope you all are having a good one. We will see you next week, Thursday, 2 p.m., right here on Blog Talk Radio. God bless, everybody. Bye. <laughs>